This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and undoing the programming within us. Let's find your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. So today's guest on The Great Unlearn is, is a special guest for me, Dr. Thomas Cowan. I've, I've followed his work for the better part of the last three years. Um, and has really helped me uh, in my process of unlearning many things. Um, and I love his approach to investigation and, and to doing that through his own experience. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off and read you a little bit from his website about his philosophy. And I think that'll land for everybody a little bit of, of where Dr. Cowan comes from. And then we'll just dig right into it. Everything in my external life seemed to be fairly routine and normal for an American growing up in the 70s and 80s, except that no matter where I turned, science and education systems just didn't seem to make sense to me. I set out to find both answers and questions that did make sense that fit the observations I was experiencing right before my eyes. This seeking became a lifelong quest. I just kept following my ideas and eventually learned to follow my heart. That certainly resonates with me. To my surprise, at first, following my heart led me to a radically different conception of science, medicine, and the world at large more than anything I was ever taught in school. My ideas such as heart is not a pump, blocked arteries are not the main cause of heart attacks, vaccines are ineffective and unsafe, cancer is not a genetic disease, and the war on cancer has been an utter failure have been subjects of my last three books. It's my intention to go into some of these rabbit holes with Dr. Cowan today. Recently, because of current events, I turned my questioning gaze on the widely accepted theory that germs, bacteria, and viruses cause disease. I encourage all of us to explore the concepts and ideas that govern our thoughts and even our lives. Subject them to rigorous questioning. Keep exploring wherever they ring true. For me, I can't express this kind of notion enough. This is the very heart of why I started this podcast, to question it all, to unlearn, starting with my own beliefs, and then the conditioning and programming that I've been subjected to from birth and earlier, all the way to today. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but just go watch The Creepy Line or Plandemic to get a better idea of some of the outside influences today. Now, Dr. Cowan goes on to say, it is my sincerest wish and expectation that we all forge a new world together a world that is clean, safe, and governed by joy rather than fear, which is very prominent today, probably as, as, as prominent as I've ever experienced it, and one that meets the true needs of all living beings. This is a world I want for myself, my children, my grandchildren, all people, animals, plants, and microbes. So without further ado, I want to express my, my deep gratitude and excitement for Dr. Cowan in this episode of The Great Unlearn, where we explore some of our greatest unlearning. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cowan. Oh, that's fine. You can call me Tom. And the only thing I would correct, I, I, I didn't grow up in the 70s and 80s. I grew up in the 
late fifties and sixties. So I'm a little older than. Well, maybe the formative years, we'll call the seventies and eighties, or maybe actually today are the most formative years of all in, in, in my experience. I've learned more in the last eight months than I probably did in the rest of my life put together. So I can't wait to dig into that today. Um, and I, I'd love to just start, um, as I mentioned before, before we got on with just kind of giving people a little context for the previous three books that you've done. Um, and I, I think even starting with the, your five basic principles, right? Eat good food, drink good water, sun exposure, get your feet out in the earth. And then, you know, let's restore the health of the planet. And, and, you know, I came to your work through working with a, a friend of mine here in Austin who really adopted those same principles. And it was very new for me. Here I was, I had come from Chicago and I was a trader. It was very much like on this path of how can, what can I do to optimize myself? And a lot of times it was adding things, supplements, training, all these different things where, where my friend Ryan Frisinger had, had really refocused that. I said, let's get back to what is here, what is readily available, what has been available for, for millions of years, right? And so that is, has been the basis of how I've kind of reshaped how I, you know, connect with the world. So if you, if you wouldn't mind kind of going into maybe some of those principles in a little bit uh, greater length. I mean, I think the place to start is like, so you talk about these three previous books and, um, it, you know, it was sort of a, a asking one question after another, because what I was discovering is, you know, when it, there's a lot of different ways to say it, uh, one could say I was questioning some of the basic foundations of modern science and medicine and finding that some of them weren't correct. Uh, now I would put that another way and say, I can't actually think of one that is correct. <laughs> uh, even the, the basic, there, there's some very basics. Uh, but, I, you know, one of the interesting place to start is just a simple question, because if you, if you look at modern physics, they say that particles, or this, let's say even that, get a little more basic, the stuff that we're made of, right? The stuff on earth, right? So we're talking about stuff. You say, what's it made of? It's made of particles or waves, right? Mm -hmm. and, it, and which form that exists in is determined by whether you look at it or not. That's what they say. Okay. Now, interestingly, if you think about it, a particle, which is one of those forms, which is the one that happens when you look at it, if you think about it, it's, it has a, a nucleus in the atom, right? It's made of atoms. And then somewhere 100 miles away would be the electron if it was like this big. Sure. And you're showing like the big, basically the size of a golf ball. Yeah. So it's a million times smaller than that. And so if you would have to shrink, you know, to get a proportion, if it was this big, it would be, you know, 10, 50, 100 miles away. So the question is, what's in between there? Hmm. And you know what the answer is? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Now, here's the question. Uh, since 99.9% .9 of your leg or the table or that microphone or that picture is made of stuff that's made of nothing, and that's when it's in a particle. When it's in a wave, it's totally not. Mm. And now how, if you could uh, answer how that becomes something that you can't stick your finger through the, the chair, 
mm-hmm. since your finger is nothing and the <laughs> chair is nothing, you ought to be able to stick your finger through it. And you know what they tell you about that in medical school? What's that? Nothing. <laughs> they don't even know it. In fact, if you ask the question, they think you're a lunatic because nobody would ask that question. Yet it's the fundamental conception of, of our, our conception of reality. So my point is, if you, if you can wrap your head around or your mind around that, it shouldn't be that difficult to see, uh, to you know, question whether the heart pumps the blood. Because if you think about it, it's, it's one pound organ. The blood vessels, you know, are 30,000 miles if you put them end to end. Mm. It would cover a football field if you spread them out, you know, on a, on a surface. And it's full of extremely viscous, sticky fluid with stuff in it, meaning red blood cells, platelets, that are about the size of the internal diameter of the of the walls of the vessels. Now, how you can imagine uh, uh, a one pound thin walled muscle generating enough pump pressure to push all that fluid all the way around those 30,000 miles is frankly ridiculous. So for me, it's not a question of how can anybody believe that uh, the heart doesn't pump the blood but how can anybody believe it does? There's no evidence for it. Because not only that, it turns out when you look at the movement of the blood from the heart and the left ventricle and aortic arch down the aortas, and then it goes to the capillaries, and then it stops. So not only is it going 30,000 miles, but at mile 15,000, it stops moving. And then mysteriously and apparently, because of the push from 15,000 miles ago, it gets going again. And then it goes faster and faster until it comes back to the original source. And, and that's ridiculous. That's not just physics. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's like lunatic stuff. And not only that, but if you look at the arch that, that where the blood exits the heart, it's shaped like an arch, like this. Okay. So imagine you have a garden hose that's shaped like an arch, mm-hmm. and you put it, you t- attach it to a water spigot outside your house, right? And then you put, so we're talking about a lot of pressure to go 30,000 miles and stop halfway and get it going again. Um, so you put a lot of pressure on it. What's the hose going to do? It's going to kink, I would think. It's going to straighten, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah, you did have a flexible <laughs> tube and you put a whole lot of pressure, it it goes like that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what it actually does when you when you go through systole, which is maximum pushing, it bends in. Now that makes no sense. And I saw that when I was in medical school. I was watching cardiac catheterizations. They put the dye in. The arch bends in every time that the, the heart contracts. And I said, that doesn't make any sense because I've seen garden hoses and, and it's a sort of my process. You see, because the problem with science is we start with theories and then we go looking for facts to back that up. And that's what they call in certain circles, cattywampus. 
uh, because the, rea the real way to do life is you just see the facts, right? That's the fact. It goes like this. And then you have to try to understand why it would do that. And the only reason it would do that is because the heart is a suction and the blood is being sucked out. And that's because the movement starts at the capillaries where you would expect it to start, right? And blood stops. If you ask a farmer, uh, so you got a pond here and the blood is in the water is stopped and you got to get the, the water over up the hill over there. Uh, are you going to put the water at the top of the pump at the top of the hill? I mean, that's mm. ridiculous. Mm. It's just going to fall down to the pond. You got to pump it back up. So it turns out the pump is the you know, anomalous properties of water. Water inherently creates a separation of charges, and that creates a force which then gets the blood to move. And that opens up a whole lot of things because then you can do a, a test where you take a beaker of water, right? Water, beaker. You suspend a horizontal hydrophilic tube, and then it will form this separation of charges and start flowing. And then you can, you can evaluate things to see their effect on the rate of flow. And all these things you mentioned. So I believe that the flow of the movement of the blood, the flow is important, right? If you don't have flow, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, so you put, it, you put this beaker in a lead box, right? Stops flowing. You put it in the sun, it starts flowing. You put the beaker on the earth and there's an electromagnetic field from the earth, it starts flowing. You put it next, you put your hands on it, otherwise known as laying on of hands, been done for thousands of years, or holding your wife's hand or whatever. Then it starts flowing. You put your dog next to it, at least most dogs, and it starts flowing. And then guess what? You put your cell phone next to it, it stops flowing. Why? Because the electromagnetic field from the, from the um, cell phone is toxic to water, and it doesn't allow the water to separate charges, which is exactly why I don't have a cell phone. Because I don't want my water, which is what we're made out of, in, in, a, in a coherent, structured form, to be denatured and made incoherent. So that was the first book. And then I write a book that, that what we call sickness is, imagine you have water in your tissues, like your nose. And it's supposed to be a perfect crystal, like a radio. Now, just let me point out, you know, you learn in medical school that only stuff exists, only these particles, right? Even though we don't know what a particle, how it could possibly form a nose. But anyways, let's just say it does. And then they say everything that's determined uh, or everything that makes the nose function is part of that, uh, that, that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like saying, uh, I remember I was uh, driving with uh, like a, four-year-old grandchild and they actually uh, my son puts this podcast of me on the radio or something <laughs> or a radio interview and I think it was some I don't remember which one said oh grandpa's in the radio in the, in the right <laughs> yeah 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 because you know it sounded like grandpa and there I was uh, talking in the <laughs> car 
and and it was confusing to her because he was uh, sitting over there. But uh, it's so we say that there are no nothing. Uh, so anyway, so you get so the 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 water is essentially a collector for the forces of the world, mm-hmm. and it's just like a radio receiver. Now, if you got an out of tune radio, it doesn't work properly, and then you can't smell right or you can't see right because the lens, which is this structured water, has got stuff in it that it shouldn't have. It's like Jello with a poison grape, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not coherent and it's not receiving information properly. It's like a radio tuned to six hundred and twenty instead of ninety eight point six, so you get static. Mm. So now I asked myself the question, how are you going to get that poison grape out of there? Right? So one way is you get a scooper and you scoop it all out. But that's problematic because I don't know a scooper that works, right? (laughs) Right. You don't come with a scooper. So how about another way? You could heat up the gel, right? Mm -hmm. Make it liquefy, make it run, and then sneeze it out. And that's what we call sickness. Hmm. It's an ingenious plan that works the same system over and over again. You get poison, it interferes with your the coherence of your tissues. You have to get it out because otherwise you're dysfunctional. So you dissolve it, excrete it, and then you're good. Now, unfortunately, the medical profession doesn't understand that. So they do all sorts of stuff to stuff the snot back in there. Mm-hmm. Either they prevent you from doing that, so-called vaccines, or they give you, you know, anti-snot stuff to pre- or anti-pyretics, otherwise known as Tylenol, to keep you from liquefying your gel. And then you've got a nose full of snot and poisons, and then you have chronic snotitis, otherwise known as cancer. Mm. And we know from historical evidence that the treatment of cancer was often detoxification, hyperthermia, heat treatment, and even bacterial infections, so-called infections. The, the bacteria are there to digest the stuff in your, in your tissues. They're not there to cause disease. They're the cleanup crew. Mm. The reason you know that is because if you take them out and put them in a healthy person, they never cause disease. Mm. Never. So they're not there to cause disease any more than if you put dead squirrels in a compost pile, you'll get bacteria to eat the, the squirrels or fungus. Or if you cut down a tree, you'll have dead trees in the forest. And then thank God the bacteria and fungus eat it. Otherwise, the forest would be dead. And as far as I know, no sane person thinks the forest has an infection. Mm. Yeah, and you've you've often yeah, and 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 I mean, one of the things you're talking about obviously is this like this suppression of the fevers that we get, right? And that is that that is that natural process that's this grand design that helps us excrete these poisons, but we're taught to oh, a fever's bad. And, yeah. and to suppress it at, at all costs. Right. There's no science. There, there's no rational thought behind that. There's no study that shows that that helps. Every study that's ever been done shows if you suppress the fever, if you suppress these symptoms, 
the situation will get worse. And would you assert that, would you assert that maybe there are some greater interests, financial interests at play here that want us to continue to use the Tylenols? Maybe, but it's more, it's, it's actually deeper than that. It's a kind of belief in a way of seeing the world that is frankly, uh, immature and, and scientifically invalid. It's a superstition. Mm. And that's bigger than that it gets exploited by financial interests. But right. the real problem is we, we, we are under a spell. And the spell is this is the way biology works with no evidence, you know. What, and so then you, you come up to the current time, you know, right now, uh, according to the CDC, according to the European pathologists, according to Pfizer, According to uh, a number of other major groups, they've never actually even isolated or seen a coronavirus. That's what they say. And so what are they, quote, seeing? When you poison a tissue and you break down the, the genetic material, like the DNA or the RNA, the body packages that up and excretes it in these particles, which are misconceived as viruses. They're, they're the body's detoxification and communication strategy. Mm. And you know, when you read that, you know, the European pathology says group says it's challenging to make a test that's accurate for the virus because we have no example of the virus. Right. That's like me saying to you. <laughs> So could you make a test for a unicorn? <laughs> and you might say, sure, can I see a unicorn first, right? Yeah. Otherwise, how are you going to make a test for it? And I say, no. And you'd say, I'm going to quit and get a new job. Or I say, I'll give you a million dollars if you do it. Done. So you go look and you find a piece of a hoof. Never mind that there's horses and zebras and and pigs and all kinds of animals. You don't know which one it came from, mm. uh, but you found a hoof, you get a prize for it. That's the virus. It must have come from a unicorn because somebody back 20 years ago said, this must be from a unicorn. Mm. And, and it goes on like that. And I can tell you, you know, a guy I know uh, offered a 100,000 euro prize for anybody in the German court system to prove that a measles virus exists, not even that it causes disease, just that there is such a thing. And he won. Hmm. German, and the German Supreme Court said there's no scientific evidence that this virus exists. We don't know if it does or not. After 50 years, uh, I mean, here's, here's another example of this. Let's say I said, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars to make a recreation of King Beauregard's cast medieval castle from 1200 AD. Okay. Yep. Got any question? And I'm going to make it out of Lego. So I'm going to put all the pieces of Lego in the world on a table. Ready? Go. Got any questions for me? What's it look like? No, can't see it. <laughs> Got to make an exact replica of it. Oh, yeah. It's very problematic. So, but anyways, I just gave you a million dollars. So you go looking 
and you find a moat mm. and a turret. And you say to yourself, I know this spike protein must have come from this virus. This moat is part of castles. I've seen castles. So it must be that. And then somebody gives you a prize for finding a moat. So then you start looking and you find turrets and you find soldiers and windows and beds. And all these are supposedly part of castles. And then you make a computer to fill in the rest. Mm. That's called whole genome sequencing in virology. They find little pieces. They don't know where they came from. They put 2% of it at most, sometimes 0.1% of it. So you found a turret and you put that into a computer program and it makes the castle. And they find 0.1% uh, of the genome and they put that into a program called a genome, whole genome sequencer or next generation sequencer, and that makes the genome of the so-called virus. And you do that for 20 years, and then the original guy has a conference on King Beauregard's castle. <laughs> and everybody presents their, their, you know, their Lego thing of it with their computer thing, and he says, oh, by the way, King Beauregard lived in a townhouse in London because he was afraid of moats. <laughs> That's where we are. Well, I love you. You, you bring up in, in your book, um, and actually a couple of them, that so many of the foundations of, of this science is based upon the work of like a Louis Pasteur who, you know, uh, fraudulently um, created some of his findings. Yeah, I mean, here's what he did. He, they said... Bacteria cause disease, they, and they could see them at the site of a disease, right? You have sore throat, you look, sometimes you see these strep bacteria. Now, I would point out to people that if you think, not you, but if, if one thinks that because something is at the site of a problem, it must have caused the problem, mm -hmm. then you must think firemen cause fires. <laughs> Uh, and that's not the way human, normal, rational human beings think, right? No. Uh, they could, so they could be doing a lot of things. Like I said, bacteria clean up debris. You could have had something interfere with your tonsils, and then the bacteria clean up the debris. And they also, you know, they may cause redness and pain as they're doing that. And if you give somebody an antibiotic, it might go away for a while, but it's going to come back or you're going to get a worse problem. So anyways, he says the problem then he was working with was anthrax, which was, so they, in, in some, but not all the sheep who had the disease called anthrax, they found this bacteria. And then they looked in the sheep who didn't have it, and about 50% had the bacteria and 50% didn't, which should make you suspicious, because if you think firemen cause fires and you go to a place that has no fires, and you see a lot of firemen there, make you think maybe they don't cause fire. <laughs> maybe they're there for another reason. Um, but anyway, so they thought that, and then they, because they had a microscope, they could isolate, they could take out the bacteria, and then they could give them to sheep, you know, snotted up their nose or ejected or something. None got sick. And then he said, well, I, I can make the anthrax bacteria more virulent. <laughs> And he did that by mixing it with arsenic. Now, interestingly, that's what they were dipping the sheep in for ticks. 
Arsenic. Arsenic. Because it kills ticks. So they were dipping the sheep in ticks and the sheep were getting sick. So he had the great idea of if I put some of that arsenic in the culture with the bacteria, then I inject it into the sheep and lo and behold, they get sick. Damn. So then he says, I got an experiment here. I can give them a vaccine. So he takes 150 sheep. And we know about this because he wrote about it in his personal diary, which was supposedly never to be published, but his grandson didn't like him, so he published it. And, and just could you explain to people that it's kind of uncommon for someone of his stature to never want anyone to read his notebooks. Is that right? Yes, that, but he knew, at least until he died, because, uh, you know, he didn't, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know why I didn't ask him, but uh, yeah. he didn't want everyone to read it. So he does an experiment vaccinates of the 150, vaccinates 75, the other 75 he doesn't vaccinate. Then he gives them all anthrax. Uh, He says that he gave the unvaccinated ones uh, the virulent anthrax, and he gave the vaccinated ones the normal anthrax, which he knew doesn't cause disease. All 75 of the unvaccinated who he gave the arsenic anthrax got sick and died. And none of the ones who he vaccinated got sick and died, which is already suspicious because you never see a trial in medicine where it's 100 mm-hmm. percent. Uh, and the reason he died was because he poisoned the unvaccinated and didn't the vaccinated. And so that's why and he sold, a, you know, half a million uh, whatever lira or francs, French <laughs> francs of vaccine, which everybody who used it said it doesn't work. Uh, and but that became the start of modern vaccine uh, use. That's essentially the study that got us thinking, not us, but got some people thinking this is a good thing. I mean, and then he's you know then he admits on his deathbed that the germ never did didn't do anything. Mm. So, but that's I mean. You can call that a lot of things, but it's simply not science. It's not accurate. It's not, it's just a fraud. Yeah. And, 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 and again, you were, you were, before I kind of stepped in, you were talking a little bit about measles as an example, um, how we've gotten that one wrong and, and, and how that the vaccine in that particular case generally suppresses this natural kind of I would call it like a, almost a rite of passage for the human body to kind of move through this, this kind of period of detoxification. Right. And we know that from the research says that if a child goes through measles, they're healthier for life. They have less cancer. They have less arthritis. They have less heart disease. They have less autoimmune disease. Because if you've got something, even if sort of ubiquitous, poison or ubiquitous could even be a mental construct like materialism in in the world all children have to go through this process of growth maturation essentially purging themselves of this it's like saying i got this caterpillar and i don't want it to you know become a butterfly because something bad might happen because it's a sitting duck so every time it i'm going to give it uh, cocoon inhibiting medicine mm. and right except that's ridiculous that's that's stupid mm. because 
that is the natural process. Now, sometimes it goes bad, but extremely rarely in a situation like this. So uh, unfortunately, you can give the person a worse poison, and then apparently their body says, I got bigger things to worry about now than going through measles. Now I've got you know this sort of chronic poisoning to deal with. Now I'm like, can't think straight and whatever, so I've got to deal with that. So they can never actually get around to doing the harmless you know, maturation process. And we have this thing completely confused. And you know, the, the doctors are, if not the same, more confused than the regular people. They're completely confused about this. Well, and so then I have a question as a parent, right? Um, you know, we've had different kind of uh, schedules for vaccines for our kids. And you know, the question I would, I would offer to the listeners even like, what, like, what do you do now to, you know, you've gone through the schedule in whatever way you've done it. Like, what can you do now to mitigate, to detoxify from some of these um, vaccines that have come into the body? I mean, it depends on the situation, but every child who's been vaccinated has, you know, chronic metal poisoning. They have, de they have toxicity issues. They have altered microbes in their gut. They are chronically sick. There's, there's no doubt about that. So then you have to, there is no particular, you know, formula. I mean, mm -hmm. it's all good food and good water and you know, sunlight and earth. And, but, you know, that now is a situation for, uh, that you have to get some sort of a plan. And I, I, I can't really outline the, there's no sure. generic plan. Sure. But to, like, words, to, everybody's affected differently and you have to see the person, even if they're seemingly well, you know, they have, they've been poisoned. And then this, the, these metals that are in our body, and we're going to get to this and maybe we'll just get to it now, but that those act as an antenna, as a yeah. receiver for what we're experiencing today, which is not all the great benefits of 5G, which people enjoy the, the speed and all that, but some like what, what give us in your experience, what the, the downside of this new network is. And maybe even oh. I would love for you to kind of, in your book, you talk about the different um, periods of magnetization or whatever of the earth and kind of what coincided along with that? I mean, the basic principle here is we're made of water. The, the genetic material and the proteins are embedded in the water. And actually the water determines how they're expressed. So you imagine an antenna, which is the DNA, embedded in a gel and the gel essentially says express this part which means make a protein or or unfold this part and if everything is perfect gel perfect antenna life is good that's and then it receives these impulses from the sun and the moon and all these other things i said now those impulses are always non-pulsed broad spectrum electromagnetic waves there's not they're not tuned to a certain frequency like a radio and here comes the trouble because 
in order to make a man-made uh, electromagnetic frequency work, and what I mean by work is run your radio. You don't just turn your radio on to, to non-pulsed any frequency signal, right? Mm -hmm. You turn it to 98.6 and it tunes into that. And, and the reason for that is because the radio antenna is sending out a pulsed regular frequency at a very specific wavelength because that's how it works. And the water in us and the DNA in us and the proteins in us have never experienced this kind of assault before. And so it breaks down the water coherence, it breaks down the DNA, that creates symptoms of disease. Your body excretes those as so-called viruses, and then you have the 1918 flu pandemic. And then you kind of get used to that, you know, and the way you get used to it is actually through the viruses. They actually communicate like trees do, that something toxic has happened, the rest of you guys have to prepare yourself. So that's the mechanism of adapt adaptation. Is this where exosomes come into play? Yeah, that's where ex exosomes are the name for these, these DNA particles, mistakenly called viruses, are from inside us. They're our own human sequences that are to detoxify and to send out messages to the world that we have encountered a new toxin. And then they put in radar, and then they put in this frequency, and then they put in this one. And the only difference with you know millimeter waves, otherwise known as 5G, are those are the most intense and the most pulsed. So therefore, the most toxic to the tissues and to oxygen. So it breaks down the oxygen, it interferes with the ability to make uh, you know, energy out of oxygen in food. And then you get people who are sick and may die. And that's what's happening now. Yeah. And so the symptoms you've said are, are, are consistent with what we're finding with the COVID-19 experience. Yes, they are exactly the symptoms. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the symptoms, you know, there's, there's all kinds of toxins out there. There's air pollution, glyphosate. And even fear makes you make exosomes and wearing a mask and breathing toxic air. And they put chemicals impregnated into these masks that are you know, carcinogenic, frankly. So you're breathing carcinogenic air for no reason because there's no virus in the first place. And even if there was, there's no way that thing could stop a virus. This is just a it's a, it's a mind game. You know, it's like I tell people, historically, there was three groups of people who wore masks. There was shamans who wanted to change their consciousness or change the consciousness of the group who was around them. So it's a consciousness-inducing maneuver. So that's one group. The second group are the slaves in, in, a, in the United States before the Civil War were forced to wear masks when they went off the plantation to demonstrate that they had no voice. Uh, so that's the second group. And the third group we all know about are bank robbers. Mm. So as soon as this whole thing happened, I called my bank and said, you guys got to increase security because I've seen a lot of bank robbers. 
<laughs> they thought I was nuts. <laughs> so did I think I was nuts. But uh, but but anyways, I like to ask people, which of those three groups are you? Because most people are not courageous enough to um, rob a bank, and they're not uh, savvy enough to be a shaman. So I think they're left with the other, the number two. Mm. Okay, so practically speaking, like we're here right now. Like, what? What's what's? What, I, mean, I don't even know here. what the goddamn question is. It's like, first of all, your 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 latest book, The Contagion Myth. Obviously, I couldn't. Well, not obviously, but I couldn't get it on Amazon. And so, right. do you do you want to explain why that may be? I mean, so. So we write this book explaining, you know, where this whole thing came from and the whole history of the germ theory. And interestingly, the Amazon had never actually obtained a copy of the book. Mm. So it wasn't like Mr. Amazon read the book and said, I don't like this. He never read the book. He just saw the title. And then during the pre-sales, it was up into, you know, the top hundred sales of the book. So it was, you know, essentially doing well. Mm -hmm. And then they sent out a, a notice to people who had pre-ordered it saying the publisher pulled the book. Now, that was a lot because the publisher, I know him, the owner, didn't pull the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's an outright lie. I don't know why they said that. And then interestingly, they said, and by the way, we're not giving you your money back. Come on. Yeah. I mean, at least you didn't <laughs> give them their money back, but they collected, it's hard to know, but, you know, $800,000. Damn. And, and they just took it. They need then, it though. Amazon, they're struggling yeah, right now. They need it. So, and then uh, they eventually sort of started giving those people the book, like sending those. So they get never, never return anybody's money, but they gave some, they sent some of those people, not all. Of them. And then they just said, we're not carrying this anymore with no explanation. It was then picked up by Barnes and Noble. And there was another interesting thing that happened because very soon it became the number one selling book on Barnes and Noble of, you know, Barnes & Noble, like Amazon, ranks every book they have. You could be the number one seller. You could be 4,632,000. Every book is ranked. You got a ranking, yep. Yep. And the ranking is important because there's things like if you're top 10 for a week, the New York Times has to review it or something like that. Mm -hmm. or, or, or some review places or, you know, some things happen, apparently. So it was, it was number one for two days. And then, and apparently this is the first time this owner, the owner of the publishing company for 35 years has seen this, they stopped ranking it. They were still selling it, but there was, you go there and there's no rank. I mean, it's not one, it's not 50, it's not 3000, it's not 6 million. Every other book, we, it, he said, was ranked. I don't know if that's true exactly every other book. Well, I, that's I, but I couldn't buy it on, on Barnes & Noble. I, I got the Nook version, and yeah. then uh, I had to go to your website, 
um, drtomcowan.com to to buy more copies of it. But I couldn't, yeah. they, they said it was out of, you know, they were waiting for more or something like that. Some of that was the publisher, but, but they, so I don't know why they stopped ranking. They don't rank in a nook either. Every other book is, you know, even eBooks are ranked. You know, you can see, you know, it's it just, this gets sell more than Obama's book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? They're all ranked except our book, not ranked. Well, you know, part of the, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on Tom was your, your, your book, um, vaccines, autoimmunity, and the, the changing nature of childhood diseases. Did I get that right? Childhood illnesses. Yeah. I had recommended that to, uh, some of my closest friends a number of times and no one, no one would buy it. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm not just this crazy guy who's on a new path and like questioning things and have lost my mind. Like I've read this and it makes sense to me. Um, I'm curious what you guys think. And so I think it goes without saying that these are hard, these are triggering conversations for a lot of people because it upsets their entire, you know, kind of ideology around these things and these beliefs. And I think one of the things I've always appreciated about your work is the very kind of the, the central tenet is to question everything you've ever believed and to stop kind of believing, but just to go through this experience of what is. And so I appreciate you coming on to, to talk about things that, again, that are not difficult for you to talk about, but they're difficult for people to hear. Um, and I wonder if there's a way uh, without, I mean, again, I highly recommend each of, of the books and we're going to link to them in the show notes, but like how, and it's not necessarily, I know you're, you're doing your, your books are an active service as well. And so it, it is important for people to read them, but you have your process and your experience with these things. Um, and so it's not as if you're trying to get people to just believe and to become indoctrinated into what you're sharing, but like how. I don't want anybody to believe anything. Yeah. In fact, even interestingly in the vaccine book and in all the books and including in the, in the book, you know, a few months ago, I got things wrong. Uh, and, and even in this book, I, I know I got, I, I can probably, I'm not going to, because people have to figure it out for themselves. But. This, and this is what I love about you. You fucking, you're one of the few guys, especially at your stature where you're a doctor, you're supposed to like, I got it wrong and I got this wrong. It's like, because new information comes in and you're continuing to learn and people just have such a hard time with that. But for no, me. I'll tell you exactly why I got things wrong. Because there's a, you know, there's a bunch of them. I didn't get everything wrong. And I was sort of on a, a path to getting things better, I think, in retrospect. Every single time I got things wrong, I would actually come to a place in writing. And I would say to myself, you know, I'm not sure this is right. But it, it was seen too big to take that on at this point. Uh-huh. And so I believed the dominant narrative more than I should have. And there's something that went off in me that said, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. You should, you should be a little more, I was like, no, I'm not gonna get into that right now. And, 
uh, because it's just too much. Do you think that, I mean, in, in that's almost like a self-preservation model, I would think, because if you start to investigate each of, if you're going to write a book and you're, you go down the one rabbit hole leads to five other rabbit holes leads. I mean, there, you have an infinite amount of rabbit holes to go down. And so at some point right. you have to land yeah. somewhere. You got to land somewhere and you just got to say, this is, this is the best I know right now. And then, you know, the amazing thing about writing books is then you learn about it because then the whole world says, wow, what about this? And what about that? And they send you all kinds of stuff. And, and so six months later, you realize, or I realize that, I mean, I, it's not that they're useless because they were all, they're getting there. And I, I, in some times I would say I'm even further along this than maybe anybody else, but mm -hmm. uh, that's a little arrogant. But um, anyways, I, I did my best at the time, but there's more to it. And every single time I got it wrong, every single time I believed what I had been taught or thought was right, much too uncritically. Now, what, what you're talking about is, so why doesn't this, you know, why doesn't this, quote, persuade people or get people to think differently? Uh, that's a very complex and interesting question. Mm -hmm. So a simple answer is they're under a spell. And they can't, anybody who's under a spell can't see what the problem is because they're under a spell. Now, what is the spell? I, there's a lot of aspects to this, but one is, you know, you could make the case that humans are tribal and social beings, and that we, we just like a tree, you cut down all the other trees, and the one tree left is a goner because they can't hold the water in the soil, and it's too hot. Mm. Uh, so every tree needs every other tree, needs a healthy forest. You need a whole ecosystem, and humans need their tribe. And if there's so much pressure on you to believe a certain thing, if you start, if you question that, and this was in the medical profession, but even now with wearing a mask or believing this is caused by a virus, you become a pariah. And not only that, but certain times there's some times that really nasty stuff happens to you. You can't go to school, which actually is a good thing, because then you can't learn as many lies as you would have otherwise. Fact. But you can't, you know, we may be approaching a time where you can't, your bank account may be attached to having a vaccine. So now we're in a situation where you don't get a vaccine, you've got a hold on your bank account. So you can't pay your mortgage. You can't buy food. You can't live in this society. Not that that's such a bad thing at times, but I can tell you, if you hadn't thought of that beforehand, you're, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And there are very few people who have enough conviction that they're willing to go down that path because mm -hmm. it's just true. And so instead, they just say, I don't want to know. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking with a guy the other day who was interviewing me. He's a very smart guy. He said, it's like, and I don't know if I like the computer image so much, but 
but it, 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 he's right. It's like people have a firewall around their mind. And you cannot, uh, you cannot address this through rational thought. You cannot say, uh, even though the CDC says, in quotes, we have no viral isolates. That's like, you know, it's like me saying, this is a pen, but I've never seen a pen. And I'm going to make a test to, to tell you the components of a pen. That's what they're saying. You can show that it doesn't mean anything. Partly because the title of the paper was the isolation of the coronavirus. <laughs> and, and they read, the doctors read the title. Say, say, they, and then they say to me, Tom, here's a paper that proves you're wrong. And then I look down how they did it, and they didn't isolate it. And they have no evidence of it, and they actually say it in writing. And none of that means anything, because if you're under a spell, and your whole livelihood, and your whole, you're, you're going to get kicked out of the tribe. You are going to get kicked out of this tribe. And if you don't have another backup plan, you're in big trouble. So some of us are trying to figure out a backup plan because this isn't going well. No. No, it's, yeah. Um, you know, you had a recent uh, video that you put up on your YouTube about the, um, not only the, the, the lack of efficacy of mask wearing, but actually that in some cases it's, it's, made, you know, I think it was uh, infection in surgical situations. And I know you've done another one that's like, it's okay, let's get just out of the surgery and like just in general. Um, yeah, it makes people sick. But here's another, maybe we can finish with this. Just, just to show how manipulative and I can't, I don't know if any other word, but say lying this whole thing is, right? So you may have seen today, uh, headlines, Moderna COVID-19 vaccine, 94.5% effective, mm. right? That's the, that's the headlines. So where did they come up with that number? Do, do you know? Nope. Right. No, ask your doctor if you have one. Where did they come up with? Because he'll tell you that number. Ask him where he came up with it. They have no idea. Here, here I'm going to now tell you where they came up with it, even though I don't have the paper. So. It's a little bit speculative based on what I can piece together, but it's more or less accurate. They say they did 30,000 participants. Now, they say they did approximately half in a placebo, although they don't tell you what a placebo is, mm -hmm. and half they gave the vaccine. So let's just say 15,000 they gave the vaccine, 15,000 they gave placebo, right? That's half of 30,000. In the in the placebo, they had 90 cases, right? That's 0.06% of the people who didn't get the vaccine got what they're calling COVID. Never mind, there's no definition. Never mind, they didn't, they didn't tell you how they decided somebody had COVID. Let's just take it on face value. Sure. Right? Okay. You with me? 0.06% of the people who didn't get the vaccine got COVID. Yep, less they than 
less than 0.06%. Yep. That's the exact number. Now, in the group that did get the vaccine, five got COVID. That's 0.000, no, 0.003%. <laughs> okay. Right? So what's the difference? That's... 0.057%, right? Yeah. And why do they say 95%? Because of the of the hundred who of the ninety five who got COVID, ninety four point five percent had didn't have the vaccine. Now here's the way to think of that. Let's say we we want to know whether this drug causes heart attacks or prevents heart attacks, right? So you take ten thousand people, you give them the drug. Ten thousand other people, you don't give them the drug. At the end of a year. Two of the people you didn't give the drug have a heart attack, and one who you did give the drug had the heart attack. What's the benefit of the drug? Oh, so it's a, it's a, I mean, is it 50%? It's 33%. 33%. Why? Because three people total had a heart attack. Yeah. Two of them were in the uh, didn't take it, one in the did take it. That's a 33% difference. And that's what they tell you. That's completely irrelevant, right? Less than 1% of, so the difference, the actual difference is 0.001%. And if you ask the doctors, why don't you say it's 0.001%? They say, because then nobody would take the drug, mm. which is correct. That's the only part I agree with. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, this is lying. Well, I'm glad That's you brought that, got that, that number from. Well, I have... yet, there's no reporter. There's no medical doctor who will say, this is bullshit. This is 0.06% versus 0.003%. That is statistically irrelevant. Never mind that they don't even tell you what they're calling a case. And, you know, the whole thing is just, it's just crap. Well, and then I think we let's just land on the the PCR test, and if if you can just su summarize that so people have an understanding that, and I'm sure There's a lot no of no false positives. There's no false negatives. It's just plain old good fashioned false. Damn. Because if you've never isolated the virus, if you've never seen a unicorn, you cannot make a test that tells you. This piece came from a unicorn. And that's just the facts. It is a make-believe test. There it is. There it is. All right? All right. Listen, any, uh, so I mentioned, Dick, people can find you at drtomcowan.com on your YouTube, um, yep, which is. That's the best place. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you, brother. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, please check out the show notes or head on over to thegreatunlearned.com for additional episodes and information regarding events and retreats. If you liked what you heard today, click subscribe and share this with friends that might enjoy our platform. Please leave a five-star rating in iTunes as this really helps us spread our message. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BunkerCal and on Facebook as John Callahan. 
Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon.